Hey now, it's Stu Sallow, the Deadhead Cyclist here, with this week in Grateful Dead History and an excerpt from my upcoming book, The Deadhead Cyclist. This week in Grateful Dead History is the April 23, 1977 show from Springfield Civic Center in Springfield, Massachusetts, the second show of the famous 30-show Spring 1977 tour. Chapter 17 of my upcoming book, The Deadhead Cyclist, features one of the most musically interesting tunes in the Grateful Dead repertoire, Help on the Way. Among the many compelling lyrics in this poetic gem by Robert Hunter is this one. Without love in the dream, it'll never come true. Here's an excerpt from that chapter. It has often been said that there are only two primal emotions, love and fear and that these two strange bedfellows are more intimately related than logic might suggest. This assertion has been supported scientifically in the way that the hormone oxytocin is produced both in times of love and in times of fear. But what is also true, as articulated by world-renowned psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her essay, When You Don't Choose Love, You Choose Fear, is that there is only love or fear, meaning that a choice must be made. Make the obvious choice. Learn more by joining us for the next episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show starting right now. And please visit deadheadcyclist.com to reserve a signed copy of the Deadhead Cyclist. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Mishkin of Cannabis of uh, Mishkin Law, a cannabis law firm in Chicago. And uh, this is a great day to be joining us. This is going to be uh, uh, one of those really worthwhile episodes. It's going to be fun to listen to, and you might even listen to it twice because it can get kind of deep. You heard uh, our guest, Stu Sallow, give a little introduction right when we were logging on there. Uh, very appropriately, we're going to get to Stu in a, Stu in a second, uh, and we are going to be talking today uh, about uh, Help on the Way and certain lyrics from it. And they all come from the Grateful Dead show on April 23rd, 1977 at the Springfield Civic Auditorium. So let's get it started, Dan. Yes, Sugary, one of the Grateful Dead's, uh, Jerry Garcia actually incorporated into the Grateful Dead repertoire tunes. Great energy. What a great show. You can hear the crowd uh, really bursting at the seams right from the very beginning. Uh, who doesn't love this tune? Uh, and with that, let us uh, slide over and say hello to our guest today, Stu Sallow, the Deadhead Cyclist. 
Uh, this is Stu's return visit to the Deadhead uh, Cannabis Show, and we could not be happier to have you back here again. Stu, how are you doing today? Hey, Larry. I'm doing good. I uh, appreciate being back. Actually, this is my fourth time on the show, and it's oh been a real hoot every time, and I'm sure this is going to probably be even more fun than ever. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. So we, we, we picked the show today that you had talked about, and uh, we're going to, uh, uh, in a second here, dive in and start having a little bit of a conversation on uh, some of these lyrics. But before we do, Stu, uh, just give our listeners who may not have caught you the last time around uh, some quick background on yourself, who you are, how you got to where you are, how bicycles fit into all of this, and uh, you know how it leads into your book. Okay. Well, where to begin? Um... Uh, I'm remembering the beginning sentence of uh, Richard Nixon's memoir where he said, I was born in the house my father built. (laughs) I won't go that far back, though. But I will go back to a day in um, 2017 when I was riding my mountain bike out in the desert of uh, Nevada just outside of Las Vegas. And I was there for a baseball tournament, which I play in every year. and I was feeling kind of confounded uh, about my, or frustrated maybe is another word to use, uh, about my desire to sort of share the accumulation of wisdom that I had uh, to offer uh, after having crossed the threshold uh, of being 59 forever, as I like to say. (laughs) And uh, originally I was going to write a book called 59 Forever. I wanted to share uh, a lot of wisdom about aging successfully, uh, which I had kind of made a bit of a career of. And uh, I just couldn't find the right avenue for it. And I was feeling kind of frustrated. And I was, as I always do when I'm riding my bike in the wilderness, I was listening to a Grateful Dead concert that day. And suddenly out of nowhere, the words deadhead cyclist came to me. and it was so compelling. The message was, was so, was so compelling. It, it, it seemed, I, I don't, I'm not a believer, um, in the traditional sense, but I do believe that we all receive messages, uh, about our destiny. And this was certainly an example of that. I was supposed to become at that moment, I knew I was supposed to become the deadhead cyclist. Actually, I didn't know it for sure until I reached my lookout point at uh uh it's it's outside of blue diamond nevada for those of you who have been in the area and uh i got out my iphone and i dialed up godaddy to see if deadheadcyclist.com was available (laughs) (laughs) and and sure enough in the middle of this ride uh i'm 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 looking up on the internet uh whether whether this uh url is available and sure enough it was available i think for 11.99 and as soon as I got home that day, I locked that up, and I, and I've been the deadhead cyclist ever since. And so what I've what I've been doing is, um, picking concerts to listen to while I cycle, and then I extract from those concerts lyrics that move me in some fashion or another. And I did this fifty two consecutive weeks. And I created a book called The Deadhead Cyclist, which has 52 chapters, one for each week of the year in a trip around the sun, week by week, 
from week one to week 52 of the year uh, with a specific tune and a specific lyric from that tune. And then I riff off that lyric in a certain way where I get a chance to share the, the like what I, as I like to say, the life lessons that I've learned on two wheels to the tunes of the Grateful Dead. And that's basically the, um, you know, the format of the Deadhead Cyclist book, which will be due out um, next month. I should also mention that I'm the founder and owner of the Boulder Weekly News Magazine. Uh, I came to Boulder in 1993 to start the Boulder Weekly. It's been going for almost 30 years now. The 30th anniversary edition will be published in August of this year. And so when I, in my spare time, when I'm not writing, uh, when I'm not writing and listening to Grateful Dead concerts and writing books, I, I run the Boulder Weekly. There's a little background for you. Okay. Well, that's some great background. Thank you for going through all of that again. And it, 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 it's, it's a, you know, kind of a fun approach to the dead. I think that all of us deadheads out there, you know, over time have, you know, heard enough of the lyrics that we kind of pick the ones that resonates more strongly for us. But I can't say that I've ever gone, you know, to the tasks that you have and actually sit down and focus on it in, in, in a more uh, educated way. So uh, set up for us today uh, exactly what we're going to be talking about, and then uh, we can play a little bit of an intro for it and then dive into the talk. Yeah. Well, as I, as I said in the intro, you know, I find uh, Help on the Way to be one of the most interesting pieces the Grateful Dead ever wrote. I mean, maybe Terrapin Station is more complex musically, but Help on the Way is so complex musically that even the Grateful Dead forgot how to play it after after 1977. They, they put it on the shelf for a while, and I think they didn't bring it out till 1983. And the reason for that is because it's really a hard piece of music. But getting to the lyrics... You know, the, the, the lyric that, that I focused on in, in this week in Grateful Dead history, um, which I think is week 19 of the year, was, was the lyric, um, without love in the dream, it'll never come true. And, you know, this is, this is really a good way of introducing the Grateful Dead uh, to someone who's not familiar with what the Grateful Dead even is. Uh, as well as talking to people who are staunch deadheads about about what the Grateful Dead is, the Grateful Dead was part of the the, the movement that was born out of the Vietnam War era era, um, where you know, as I said in the intro, there's either love or fear, and the wars are the result of fear. Uh, when we when we engage in those kinds of conflicts, we're we're operating out of fear, and in that case, there was a fear called the domino effect, which was that if if one country became communist, then all these other countries would fall like dominoes, and the whole world would eventually become communist, and the free world as we knew it would cease to exist. That was the justification for the tens of thousands of people that were that, that were killed in the Vietnam War, and out of that experience in in those in the '60s uh, was the, the 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 peace and love movement, the hippie movement, and the Grateful Dead were at the front of that and were integrally involved in that. And so it's no surprise that so many of their songs focus on exactly that, um, exactly the, the, the importance of, 
of loving one another. And so in this chapter of my book, I focus on the, on the, uh, on the phrase, on this, on the lyric without love in the dream, it'll never come true. And boy, that is just as true now. Um, how many years later, uh, 50 years later, almost 50 years later, uh, as, as it was back in the sixties. And that's in my view, why the Grateful Dead has continued to not only survive, but thrive in a bigger and bigger way, even 27 years, almost 28 years after the death of, of our fearless leader, because that message is a hopeful, life-affirming message that we all want to believe in and that we all want to get behind and, and participate in. And so, you know, that's the gist of that, of that particular chapter of the book. Well, I, I love that. I love the song and I love the lyric. Um, and I've actually uh, made use of it from time to time in toasts, typically at weddings, because it seems to work very well there. Um, ah, perfect. Yeah. Perfect for it. But uh, Dan, uh-huh. Dan, go ahead and spin it so the, the listeners can hear exactly what we're talking about. Source of your inspiration for this chapter. Uh, when was the first time you heard the the full "Help Slip Frank" uh, suite of tunes? I'm glad you asked that question. Um, actually, uh, the the first time I heard the the suite in that order was June 9th, 1977, at Winterland. However, on June 17th, 1975, at Winterland there was a concert uh, that was billed as uh, Kingfish and Jerry Garcia and Friends. And Jerry Garcia and Friends turned out to be the Grateful Dead. And they, uh, and they rolled out the new material from the Blues for Allah album, starting with, um, oh, how embarrassing. Uh, I can sing it, but I can't remember the name. The, the, um, uh, help me out here. King Solomon's Marbles? Uh, no, no, no. The the the, the slow one. The, uh, uh, I'll get to it in a minute. But they 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 rolled out they rolled out tunes from from Blues for Allah, and uh, and at the closing of the first set was Help on the Way without lyrics. Apparently, the lyrics hadn't been completed or written yet, and so the music had been written, and they did they did it. Uh, without without lyrics to close the first set, and they also did 
um, all, all that other Blues for Allah stuff and King Solomon's Marbles and all that stuff during the second set. Crazy Fingers. Crazy Fingers, that's it. They opened with Crazy Fingers. Actually, it was the one, one of the most memorable experiences of, of any Grateful Dead concert and, uh, that I've been to. And I, I like to roll it out uh, in the present tense by way of illustrating to people who are just learning about the Grateful Dead now how religious the experience was of going to a Grateful Dead concert. And, and, and the evidence of that is that if you listen to these recordings... And there was a famous recording by Rob Bertrando that was an audience recording. Snuck a, snuck a, this was in, in the days before the taping section. Snuck a, a tape recorder into the venue and recorded the show. And so it's in the middle of the crowd. There's a lot of crowd noise, really loud crowd noise. And during the introduction that Bill Graham introduced all, all the boys, um, he, they weren't introduced as the Grateful Dead. They were introduced as each individual of the band one by one. You can listen to this on re-listen. Uh, it's really fun to listen to. And at, at the introduction of every band member, there was just a huge roar. And of course, the biggest roar was at the end when they introduced Jerry Garcia. And then they started playing this song and there was absolute silence and reverence in the hall. You could have heard a pin drop in, in, in that venue at that time. And c- contrast that with when you go to a Dead & Company show now and you have to turn around to people and say things like, um, I'm sorry, is my concert interrupting your conversation? There's, there's people talking over the music and, you know, it's th- things, things have definitely changed. But, but I love that. That show is a very special uh, moment for me. I also, um, let's see, was there another time in between Oh, on, on September 28, 1975, at, at Golden Gate Park, there was also an unannounced Grateful Dead concert um, that was the Jefferson Starship and the Grateful Dead, a free concert in Golden Gate Park. And they, they opened with help on the way, but, but, then, they, but then they didn't go into um, Franklin's Tower. They played one or two songs in between, and then they played Fl- Franklin's Tower. So, so the answer to your question is, uh, I, I saw all that material in a different order during those previous 1975 shows, but but didn't see it all in exactly that order until June 9th, 1977. Well, you know, there's a whole uh, group of people who in the mid to late 70s and the very first couple of years of the 80s would see it, you know, as a half step Franklin's to open the show, right? It, 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 uh-huh, Franklin's, right. Yeah. They always mm-hmm. played Franklin's. It would just get kicked around. Franklin's is on Dead Set as well uh, from 1980. I don't know if that came from the Warfield or from yeah. Radio Square, uh, Radio City. Radio City. Yeah. Uh-huh. But um, Frank- Franklin's Tower is a much easier piece <laughs> than Help on the Way. You know, it's like three chords. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. And, 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 and yeah, and the Slipknot is crazy too. I mean, I know how you know uh, complicated <laughs> right. that is to try and play through it. From having talked to people right. who, who are familiar, yeah, I, yeah. I saw my first Help Slip Frank in uh, June, late June of '83 in Madison at the Dane County Coliseum. Mm-hmm. I was with my good buddy Harold, and we had a whole bunch of our friends with us, and uh, we were on a little mini uh, summer tour of our own. We went from there, then we went up to St. Paul, and then came back and saw two at Poplar Creek, the old outdoor theater. Uh, west of Chicago before they shut it down and moved everybody south to Tinley Park. Um, That's really fun. But the fun. first night when we saw it in, oh yeah, the first night when we saw it in Madison, 
uh, it was only probably my, my fifth or sixth show ever. So I, you know, I, I wasn't quite tuned in yet, A, to exactly what it was, and B, certainly not tuned into, you know, how extraordinary it was to be hearing it again. Mm-hmm. But four nights later, when we caught the second night of Poplar Creek and they came out and opened the second set for it, we were ready for it. And that was just great, just wonderful to hear him do it and, and play it all the way through. And, you know, Stu, that's the thing, right, about being at a dead show, you can go to a thousand shows and then the next night they play it mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. you just never know where or when. And, and we happened to be, you know, seeing shows on that tour and uh, they brought it out. And then of course they put it to bed again for a while and they brought it back out again. And, right. you know, I, I, I would agree with your assessment that a lot of it always, any songs they play, I think had a lot to do with how Jerry was feeling at any particular time, True. whether he, you know, he himself thought he was up to the challenge of playing some of these tunes or not. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's that's when people would say, why do you go to so many shows? This is why. Yeah. And just think about all the shows. If you knew if you knew then what you know now, how many shows you would have gone to that you didn't go to. I, one one example of that for me is I, I just mentioned the June 9th, 1977 show. Uh, I, I was also at June 7th, 1977, but I didn't go to June 8th, 1977. So I went to two of those three shows at Winterland, which were the last three shows of the Spring 77 tour. Uh-huh. And I've always regretted not going to that June 8th, 77 show. And, and, and that's another focus in my book, which is, you know, don't live a life of regret. Right. Uh, the, 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 the lyric from Truckin goes, you know, some, sometimes the cards ain't worth a dime if you don't lay them down. And, you know, lay, lay your cards down, baby. Don't, you know... Don't don't hold back because this is it. And if I if I knew then what I knew now, I would have gone to all three of those shows for sure. You know, and I've always regretted that. Sure. Last week we were uh, featuring shows from April of 83 at Brendan Byrne when Stephen Stills came out and played with them. And the show before Mm. those shows was up in Rochester, New York. And I was out there with my good buddy, Mike, and my friend, Harold, and we were doing a lot of driving around and we had gone and and I bumped into uh, some of my Michigan buddies who were heading down to Brendan Byrne for the next shows. And they were trying to talk me into going with them. And I sat there and mm-hmm. thought about, I was a junior at the time. And I said, you know, I've got this work. I just <laughs> saw a show. If I go to Brendan Byrne, yeah. it's going to be another four days on the road. And, you know, we're, and mm-hmm. it, I went to school in Ann Arbor and there the, the school year ended the end of April. So we were, you know, really talking about heading into finals. And I, I wound up getting in a car and going back to Ann Arbor instead of going down and seeing the shows. And then of course they came back and said, Oh my God, you missed these amazing shows. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, mm-hmm. you never know about any of it. I mean, I, I sit here, you know, and, and like a, a band like Fish, I don't know if you're a Fish fan or not. I've started going to it more and more because my kids really like it. And so, you know, I found that by mm-hmm. listening to it, it was a good way for me to connect with them and the whole jam band scene and everything. And, um, right. you know, I mean, they're, they're playing uh, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week when we're taping out in um, uh, the Berkeley, uh, the Greek theater in Berkeley. I saw the dead there twice mm-hmm. in the 80s and it's probably one of my favorite places mm-hmm. to see a show, certainly ever to see the dead. And, uh, yeah. and, and I know people who are at these shows and, you know, they're like, why you know, stop what I'm doing and get on a plane and fly out there and catch this music because it's the music people are going to be talking about 25 years from now. But, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we see what we can see. We go, we can go. Um, and that's, let me ask you another question about the jam band scene. Have you been introduced yet to goose? Yes. Uh huh. And so far, so far, what I've what I've heard, I haven't seen them live, but so far, what I've heard, I, I've enjoyed a lot. Yep. Um, I, I I enjoy I enjoy all that stuff because it's very musical. Yes. You know, I, I, I just I just recently saw an interview of Jerry uh, 
I think it was from around, I think it was towards the end. I think it was maybe 93 or 94 or 95. And he was asked, um, what, what do you think of, of rap music? Have you ever seen this, this uh, interview? I have not. They asked him, what do you think of rap music? And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and do my best Jerry Garcia imitation. <laughs> the, the gist of what he said is, well, I, I don't have any particular problem with it, but it's not music. <laughs> I have a 21-year-old at home who would argue with that very strongly. Uh, well, okay, all right, that's fine. There's there's plenty of room for there's plenty of room for disagreement. Yes. Um, yes. On on all subjects, and there's there's all kinds of opinions out there. And I think you know we live in a world where where love and fear are really diametrically opposed to one another, instead of merged together as two sides of the same coin. Yep. You know, and as I as, as I stated, and you know, I I I welcome, I enjoy, and welcome debates like that. Although personally, I happen to agree with what Jerry said. He said he said it's 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 not music; it's talking. It's rap. That's what <laughs> rap means. Rap means talking. And well, for that I, generation, I really, it did right. <laughs> for them, it was right, all about the rap. Right. You got to rap, yeah. But there was something. There's something about the Grateful Dead, and there's something about classic rock music in general that endures. That's why they call it classic. You know, like classical music is much of it is from the 1700s. And how has music endured for 400 years? Um, There's something special about it. And there's something special about classic rock music such that you know, you, you hear it, not just, not just in your car, because you choose the classic rock channel to listen to. You hear it everywhere. You hear it at the gym. You hear it at, at the coffee house. You hear it in restaurants. You, you, you hear it everywhere that live music, not live music, but everywhere that music is being piped in through the stereo system. More often than not, it's going to be classic rock music because that's what we can all, it crosses generations. That's what we can all uh, agree to well and I, I can, let me let me give you a yeah. great example of that Please. so goose just played two shows here this past weekend uh at the salt shed in chicago the salt shed is our new venue I, I didn't make it the first night i made it the second night and i can say to anyone who was listening to a couple of weeks ago when i went to see phil and they pinched my marijuana from me this time everybody let me in there were no problems so all is good in the world i had a big rant about that other one not that it really mattered but at the time i was like it's a grateful dead show for god's sakes um <laughs> but goose came out and and the show that i saw the saturday night show was fantastic i don't know a single song they played it was all their music um, you know, I mm-hmm, went on the mm-hmm. setlist FM dot FM later and saw the names of the songs. And, you know, if I see them again, I'll, when I see them again, I'll obviously be listening out for some of that. But to me, it was just, it, it's like seeing fish. I would see fish. I didn't know any of their songs, but they, they both just have this ability, you know, to really take the jams and take them out in different directions and, and do things with them. And, and then, you know, they kind of come in and start cascading crescendos over and over. And, you know, they really know how to work a crowd and really do great things. And, and I really wouldn't call the music, new music right it's jam music it could be just as easily you know the grateful dead playing it 30 or 40 years ago but what i really liked about goose was that the first night and i missed this i was sorry i did again they played two sets of their music which again is great music i think they played one cover maybe by spoon um but otherwise they came out for their encore and they played tomorrow never knows and i just thought that's fantastic here's a band that technically i guess get according to uh um 
uh, Google. They, they got started in 2014, but really came of age in the last four or five years. And in the last couple of years have just exploded on the scene with this new sound of theirs. It's really, they, they cover a very small number of tunes. I saw them cover one or two songs by the band and they've covered a few others, but mostly they've got their own stuff. They've got four or five albums. So they've got plenty of material to choose from. And on the night when they decide uh, that they're going to cover somebody else, they go to the Beatles, right? You know, the, these, mm-hmm. it's yeah. possible that their parents were kids when the Beatles were popping. I don't know how, you know, trying to sit here and yeah. figure, but that's true. If they're in their thirties, my kids are in their thirties. And I was, you know, when the Beatles were around, mm-hmm. I was 10 years old and, and, you know, we weren't listening right. necessarily, necessarily to revolver as much as we were listening to some of, you know, I want to hold your hand and that stuff, but we eventually worked our way up the ladder into all of that stuff. And right. talk about music that endures, right? I mean, yeah, the Beatles exactly. have become There's everything. no better example. Music, you're in the elevators, in the waiting room. Yeah. Everywhere yeah. in the world is the Beatles. And here's another band 30, 40 years later taking that tune and running with it. And to me, that's what keeps all these threads of rock and roll you know, fluid through all of the listeners. New people come on board. They hear this, they're like, oh, that's the Beatles. And all of a sudden, you know, they're digging, but not that too many people need to be prodded into listening to the Beatles, but, you know, for some people, mm-hmm. it, it's you just don't know. And uh, yeah. I, I love that. I love how the, the music that inspired the Beatles 40 years later is good enough to inspire Goose, you know, to want to come out and do their own, their own version of it. Right, right. Uh, can I interject something? Um, Please. Since I'm the deadhead cyclist, yes. I, I feel like I, I must mention that uh, to the to the listeners out there, uh, this show was recorded on April 19th, actually. And so today, April 19th, is Bicycle Day. And as the deadhead cyclist, I have to I have to bring that up. But Bicycle Day is not what people thought it or right. people think. Right. It's not. It really has almost nothing to do with bicycles. It doesn't have nothing to do with bicycles. It has almost nothing to do with bicycles. Mm-hmm. So so it it has a lot to do with LSD actually, or or as I like to call it, vitamin L. Mm-hmm. Um, it, L- LSD was, was first synthesized in the 1930s by a Swiss chem- chemist named Albert Hoffman. And uh, on, on this day in 1943, um, Hoffman ingested LSD. And uh, about an hour later, he was um, experiencing some uh, what, what they referred to as sudden and intense changes in perception. No surprise, right? And and so he asked his lab assistant to escort him home. And of course, in Switzerland at that time, the way that was done was was by was by bicycle. So that's that's how that's how LSD and bicycles, um, you know, got got to be related. And um, w- one of the things I'm I'm fascinated. I, I actually should uh, should should confess that uh, when I learned it was Bicycle Day today, I ingested a small quantity of LSD. Um, can I say that on the show? Is that okay? Of course Is, you can. Absolutely. <laughs> Fine with me. I think it's great. But it was what it was what they refer to as a microdose. Sure. Okay. And microdosing of psychedelic substances is really a big thing now and has enormous promise in the um, psychological community. It's almost universally recognized, and there are there are, there's a whole com- community of therapists now that are that are offering um, psychedelic experiences, guided psychedelic experiences, and they refer to it as, you know, $50, $150 an hour therapy sessions rolled into one. <laughs> 
And, and, and one of the interesting things about this, getting back to the Grateful Dead, is that there's an experience on psychedelics. I, I, should, mention, I should mention that a microdose of, of LSD is one one-hundredth of a dose. Right. So just, just so people out there don't think that, that this is the drug talking, this, this, was, this, was, <laughs> this was consumed about eight hours ago, and it was one one-hundredth of a dose, and I'm not, I'm, not feeling, I'm not feeling anything from it at the moment. But the, the thing is, it's working in the background. That's what's interesting about the, uh, about the, um, about the whole, this whole microdosing concept is that it works in the background. You don't get high exactly, but it works in the background. But when people were getting high, and even if it's working in the background, there's a concept that I'm fascinated with that was very much part of the Grateful Dead community called an ego death. The ego death. And uh, chapter nine of my book, actually, the headline is, He Has to Die. Which is um, which is from the um, uh, crypt? What is it? what is the suite? The crypt cryptological suite, or what is that? What is that called with the other one? Oh, and, cryptical envelopment. Um, the the cryptical envelopment envelopment suite mm-hmm. um, has the has the phrase "He has to die." There's a lot of focus in Grateful Dead songs and in the name Grateful Dead about the subject of death. In fact, I was thinking about this when you started off the show with Sugary. When they come to take you down, when they bring that wagon round, when they drag your poor body down, you know, I just for people who'd never thought about what that means, it's, you know, there someone's died, and this is where we part ways. You know, just don't tell them you knew my name. Um, but this 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 focus on how can you be grateful and dead at the same time. Mm. Grateful Dead seems to be an oxymoron, but it's actually what's ref- what's known as a tautology. T a u t o l o g y tautology. Tauto- oxymoron are two terms that are mutually exclusive. Tautology is two words that automatically go together, and Grateful Dead is actually not an oxymoron, even though there's a page on oxymoron.com. D- devoted to the Grateful Dead. You can look it up. Um, but, but, there's, but it's actually a tautology. How can you be grateful and dead? And the way, the way that I've distilled that and made it made sense to me is that it's not the individual that has to die. He has to die. It's the ego that has to die. And so uh, I had this experience uh, when I was on vitamin L at a Grateful Dead concert where I was right in front of the stage and I was, I was dancing to the music and all of a sudden I became kind of self-conscious, like I'm not a very good dancer and are people looking at me and, and thinking about how I dance and that I'm not a very good dancer. And this, you know, you know, when you're on psychedelics, these thoughts enter your brain that, that, you know, become, become quite compelling. And all of a sudden the same voice that said, deadhead cyclist to me in the desert of Las Vegas, it must have been the same voice, said, said to me, admonished me, nobody cares about you. And it wasn't in the sense of uh, that nobody cares about me. It wasn't a boo-hoo, poor me kind of message that no one cares about you. It was that it was more like I was being instructed to get over myself and let go of the idea 
that anyone in the vicinity actually cared about how I danced. And that I've never forgotten that experience because that was a, the first kind of ego death experience that I had. Get over yourself. You're not really that all, all that important. And there's a lot of other ways that you can experience this ego death. Um, uh, do, do we have time to go over just a couple more things? Sure. Okay. Um, well, for example, when I was 20 years old, my grandma died. Okay. And it was my first experience with the death of a close person in my life. And in those days, there was an open coffin and you would walk by and you would gaze upon the person and they would look kind of like themselves, but kind of not like themselves. if you've ever had that experience. And I remember thinking to myself at that moment, someday it'll be me in the coffin and just the reality of the of, of our mortality kind of hit home. And there was an ego death um, moment there for me in that. Here's a, here's a, here's a few more I, a few more ways you can. Although that takes you to Black Peter, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's so, and that's that an, got you covered. Another right. Another example of the of the of the the seeming obsession that the Grateful Dead have with the subject of death. Um, I looked up some interesting facts that that also lead to an to an ego death experience. Here's one. Our sun is one of more than 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, and our galaxy is one of more than 100 million galaxies in the universe. If, if that doesn't cause you to have an ego death, I'm not sure what, what will. Light travels at a speed of 186,000 miles per second. It takes 8 minutes and 20 seconds for light from the sun which is 93 million miles from Earth to reach us, and it can cause you to have skin cancer to the point where we're slathering on uh, sunblock. There's, a, there's an ego death experience for you. And one more, a ride to the nearest star, Sirius, which is also known as the dog star, by the way, from, from the Lost Sailor lyrics. At, if you drove from Earth to, to, to the dog star, at 70 miles an hour, it would take you 356 billion years to get there. That's the nearest star, not the sun. The sun's the nearest star. But this, aside from the sun, that's the, that's the nearest star to us. So, so, you know, getting back to the love and fear thing, which was the, the, the theme of the, you know, help on the way, is, is that, you know, we, we as a species need to get over ourselves, we need to stop wars and we need to stop shooting people that happen to knock on our door and ring doorbells or drive up our driveway to pick a couple of, of, uh, of convenient examples. We need to, we need to, not, we need to sh not show the middle finger to, to people when they cut us off in traffic and made a mistake. You know, we, we, need to, we do need to learn all over again how to love each other. And I, I, I firmly believe that, that that is probably the biggest reason for the enduring Grateful Dead all the way through, you know, uh, the dead and the other ones and further and Dark Star Orchestra and now De Dead and & Company and all, and, and all these other bands that, that have, have spawned out of that movement including goose probably i haven't studied their lyrics but i bet you there's i bet you there's some overlap there you know we really do need to learn to love each other all over again and i i think we all 
grab on to something like the Grateful Dead as a source of hope um, and affirmation that, that, there's, that there are better times ahead. Yeah, there were good times before. There's going to be great times ahead. And, and there is such a big world of music out there. And it really is wonderful, you know, to be able to see it all. Um, but I, <laughs> speaking of music, I, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that uh, Help on the Way is a beautiful tune and it, it's musically complex. And uh, as we've just discovered and talked about in detail, the lyrics are, are really wonderful. And yet, you know, when you're taking a view out, you know, from 100 miles out perspective, it's but one of three portions of the Help Slip Frank uh, trio suite of songs that uh, uh, deadheads have come to love and, uh, you know, hopefully hear as often as they can uh, when, the, when the dead are willing to play the entire suite and, and, and play all three of them together. And uh, Help on the Way takes us right into Slipknot. So, Dan, want to go ahead? We got a little Slipknot for the listeners today. Slipknot as this beautiful piece that serves a role as being the conduit from help on the way to Franklin's tower. And it, it, it's, I, I joke from time to time, and I'm just joking, of course, when I poke fun at the, the fish heads who talk about type two jams, meaning a jam that's so deep and so intense, you forget what song they were playing, which seemed like it was every song I ever heard the Grateful Dead play. <laughs> but when you when they when they make their way out of Help on the Way and into Slipknot, and you know Franklin's is coming somewhere down the road, it does just get really kind of, you know, jammy in there and and and, and the guys are kind of going all over the place with it. And uh you, you very easily can forget where you are. And it's that particular section of Slipknot that I just played that's the part that always brings me right back, mm-hmm. right? You're like, okay, mm-hmm. here we go. Now we're getting to the end of Slipknot. Yeah. I know where we're going and I know what's coming next. And um, uh, I love it. You know, it, people, I think it gets overlooked a lot because people love to talk about the Franklins. They like to talk about a help on the way. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with Fish, but they have a, uh, what they call a Mike's Groove, a three-song set that's Mike's song into I Am Hydrogen into Weekapog Groove. And in that scenario, I Am Hydrogen is the Slipknot, same kind of thing, mm-hmm. this little m- musical interlude. And and it, to me, it makes such a great way to connect songs and create this, uh, you know, this extended suite of music that if you see him open a second set or a show or anything with Help Slip Frank, you know, you can buckle in for a good 30 minutes before, the, you know, they're even going to get through all of that and even think about playing another tune. Right. And it's very jazz centered. I mean, that's the way jazz, that's the way jazz was with themes. Although classical music too had, had those, you know, kinds of themes that they would come back to. 
Um, but mm-hmm. but it's very you know I remember I remember listen, listening to an interview with uh, Brandon Marsalis who played saxophone mm-hmm. and and uh, maybe yeah. maybe some flute um, with the Grateful Dead during the nineties uh, I think nineteen ninety mostly and. I remember an interview where he where he was asked about playing with the Grateful Dead, and isn't it kind of strange to have you know a jazz musician playing with a rock band? And he said, "No, they play jazz. Right. They play jazz." I saw that. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was really fun to to, to see that that perspective. Sure. You know, look, it, 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 they, they both spring from the same uh, genre of music, which is improvisation. It's mm-hmm, playing, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have a you have a general structure of what you're playing. But within that structure, you have the freedom, you know, to express it based on how you're feeling, based on what's going on, based on, you know, all, all sorts of other things. And, and for those of us that saw the dead a large number of times, mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that 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 brings you back. It's the kind of thing that's missing when you go see a band. And pick, you know, most other bands in the world to tour. And, you know, you can go see five shows on the tour and the same five shows all the, all the way through. And to me, it wasn't so much that they were playing the same songs over and over again, as much as by halfway through the tour, they had to be totally bored playing those songs. Mm-hmm. And there was no other way for them to come back and, and you know, and really express it. And so what did the Dead do? And, and Fish and Goose and all these bands, they mix it up, mm-hmm. right? We go to see them 100 nights because all 100 nights are going to be different from the others. Right. And the way, it, it, even for the songs that are the same, they're not playing it the same way twice. You hear it one way here, Never. you hear it another way there. But that's the beauty of them each time, basically recreating the song and, you know, and, and, and how they want to do it. And, and you know, a, a, a tune like Slipknot gives them the space in which to just, you know, mm-hmm. be crazy. And we've all had the opposite experience, too. One one example comes to mind. I went I went and saw the police um, here in Denver um, a number of years ago, and you know uh, they played all their hits, and you know Roxanne and Message in a Bottle, and you know all that all that stuff, all the all the hits, and they played them exactly the same way that yep. that you would hear them on the album. Another example is Steely Dan. I love Steely Dan. Don't get me wrong, and it was a great show, but it was like listening to a really high quality version of, of their, of their albums live. And, you know, I, I prefer the unknown. I prefer, because it most, it, it reflects the way life really is. You know, does your life really go by, by a certain design to pick a, to pick a, a lyric from, from Cassidy or does it, does it sort of, does it sort of, you know, go places you've never, you never expected. Right. Well, I'll tell you one example of that for me is I, I'll, I'll get a new uh, Dick's picks or Dave's picks in the mail or one of the new box sets. And I've got all these discs to listen to. And I spend so much time in the car and I'll take them to play them in the car. And you know what I do? I get in the car, I turn on the radio before I put the disc in and I'm on the Grateful Dead station and I hear something. And I'm like, no, I'm going to listen to this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I enjoy listening to the Grateful Dead station because you don't know what's coming next. That's when you right. put the CD in, That's right. I know what I'm, it's a great show, but I know what I'm getting. Yeah. And I still kind of like that, you know, they're going to play this, they're going to play that, whatever. And, you know, it's it, sometimes it's the right song to pick that you want to hear. Sometimes it's not, but that's, you know, like going to the bathroom. That's why we have bathroom breaks at dead shows, right? Because <laughs> there's always going to be that one song that's not your song that day. One one game I love to play when I'm listening to the Grateful Dead channel is Guess the Year. Yes. And, and you know, um, I'm pretty good at it, as you can imagine. Uh, I remember once um, I, I guessed the year and my wife looked over at me and she said, how do you do that? <laughs> you know, out of 30 years. And, you know, there's a little formula that you can use like, okay, of course. is it? Is, is it is is it 
is it Keith or uh, is it Pigpen? Is it Keith? Donna, is right? It, Donna's right, the giveaway. Don, yeah, Donna's, Donna's right. voice boom. Yes, Don is, Don is, is the big giveaway or is it Brent? Um, you know, uh, you can also tell by the recording quality. There were a lot of really high quality uh, recordings during the 70s and not as many. The, 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 the Ultra Matrix uh, recording platform was much more popular in the late 80s and 90s. You can, you know, you can kind of tell, you can kind of tell that way. But, you know, when you study something uh, for hours and hours while you're riding your bike, um, you, you know, day after day, month after month, year after year, you know, you kind of, you kind of get the hang of it after a while. I've been, <laughs> I've been playing that game with my kids for years. Uh-huh. Say, okay. Well, what year is this? And God, I, I, Dad, how do you do lot. that? <laughs> right. Well, cause I spent a lot of, maybe too much time, maybe not. I don't know, but yeah, now, now, now I can do that. But here I want to slide in this Franklin's tower because great. this is just the great finish of this whole suite. So Dan, let's spin this one really fast too. That's my favorite part of Franklin's Tower. If you get confused, just listen to the music play. Isn't that why we're all at the Dead Show? It's it's fantastic, and I'm reminded uh, listening to that that there's a chapter in my book. Uh, the the uh, the chapter is called "If You Plant Ice, You're Going to Harvest Wind," and I love that sentiment too because once again, it's it's a positive, life affirming, hopeful message, which is that. If you're harvesting wind, we've all done this. We've all harvested wind in our life from time to time, okay? If you can figure out why it happened, it wasn't something that just happened to you, but something that happened that was the result of poor planning or a bad decision that you might have made, you know, it's hopeful because it means, well, I must have planted some ice somewhere along the line. Where did I plant? Where did I plant ice such that I'm harvesting wind? And what do I need to plant next time to, to have a different crop? You know, um, I, I love I love that. Uh, I, I, there's another example of of the the way I take a deep dive into these lyrics and and you know try and um, you know find the deeper meaning behind them. And and so I guess this would be a good time for me to mention that uh, the Deadhead Cyclist book is coming out next month. Um, I've been working on this book for longer than I care to admit. And um, I'm very pleased with the way it came out. Um, If you enjoy the dead, uh, or if you enjoy cycling, or if you are a student of life, um, you'll enjoy this book. 
It's easy to get a copy. Just go to deadheadcyclist.com. And uh, there's a right on the home page, there's a little button you can push. And I'm taking reservations now. Uh, the first 100 copies, we're getting close to the we're getting close to the to 100 books have been reserved, but we're still within the 100 book reservation uh, threshold. Uh, the first 100 copies will be uh, autographed by yours truly, the Deadhead Cyclist. And uh, so go to deadheadcyclist.com and reserve your copy today. <laughs> there you go. There's my commercial message. Thank you for letting me for, for letting me get get that out. <laughs> sure, we'll be looking for it. We'll read it and we will comment on it. You know, in, in true deadhead fashion. Uh-oh. So I'm in nah. I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't there's, know. There's there's a little um, controversy in it, so you know, I'm sure you'll have something to grab onto there. Yeah, we always do. Just a couple of things I just want to touch on really quick before we wrap up here today. I saw on the wire the other day that Phil has canceled his Palo Alto show scheduled for May 5th at Frost Amphitheater for unforeseen circumstances. Now, when you're talking about a guy who's 83 years old, that always makes me nervous. However, he's scheduled to play. And once again, here's the problem with the timing of our taping. Uh, You know, today is uh, Wednesday the 19th. This coming weekend, from our perspective, is the Skull and Roses Festival at Ventura County Fairgrounds. And Phil and friends are scheduled to play there. I have not heard that he's not going to play there. So I'm going to assume that whatever happened on May 5th uh, is not Phil Health related, uh, which would be uh, not a good thing. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. I want to give a shout out. Hope for the best there. To my partner, uh, Rob Hunt, who I hope is going to be back on the show next week. He's been doing some traveling and taking care of some other business. Um, But uh, my son was kind enough to point out recently uh, that a week or two ago, or I guess a couple of weeks ago, because when Rob was on the show, uh, and we, we started talking about fish for a moment, and he was talking about Fish 97 and how you'd go to these shows and they were jamming so much that they would play four or five song sets. Well, uh, how prescient was he? Because this past Monday night again on uh, uh, April 17th, the first of the three nights Fish is playing at the Greek, uh, they played a four song second set. My Soul into Tweezer into Simple hmm. into Rock and Roll, uh, the Velvet Underground's loaded version, which is one of my favorite tunes of all time. But the Tweezer was like a 45 minute Tweezer. And, the, you know, if you're not familiar with Fish, that's their primary jam tune that they just take out. It, it's kind of like uh, playing in the band, and there's a reprise to it that sometimes they play and sometimes they don't. Uh, but when I saw that at first, I thought it was a mistake. And then I called my son to confirm cause he's a big fish head. And he said, dad, your, your partner, Rob was just talking about that and saying about how fish does this and here they are doing it. And, and, uh, we've got friends, Susie and sky and Kevin who are all out there and I'm sure they're having a great time and we'll look forward to hearing about it when they come back. But, um, uh, peeking at the Greek was about as good as it gets, I think, in terms of seeing the dead. Have you ever been there? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, numerous times, and it's a wonderful venue. It is. I I'd be, be hard pressed to to find a venue in the Bay Area that I haven't been to. Okay, okay. One other thing I want to run by you here. I don't know if you've been following this, but currently Bob Dylan is touring in Japan. He's doing a six or seven show tour of Japan, where he's been before. I have his live at Budokan album and all that stuff. But it turns out, in the midst of these shows, he's casually dropping in Grateful Dead numbers. One night he played Truckin'. One night he played Not Fade Away. Okay, 
Uh, we'll talk about not fade away in a minute, not technically a dead tune, but one uh-huh, embraced right. by the dead as much as anybody. And then the other night mm-hmm. he played broke down or really, he played about 90 seconds of broke down as it turns out. And, uh, I I've watched the tapes and it's one of those things where on the one hand, it's, Oh my God, this is Bob Dylan. One of the greatest songwriters, if not the greatest songwriter of our generation, certainly of all time in the, in the conversation. And he's playing tunes written by Robert Hunter and Jerry Garcia really really badly I'm glad you said it uh, on our level it's it's worse than Phil I love <laughs> Phil I would go see Phil forever but thank God he's got some of these other people singing his lyrics for him now because mm-hmm. uh, he just play your bass and sit there and smile and we love you for every minute but you know, same thing mm-hmm. in Dylan and, and we may we may uh, choose to dig into this one a little bit further in the weeks to come uh, but just wanted to throw that out there for deadheads who want to know what's going on in the world. On the marijuana side, which we actually wonderfully did not have time to get to today because we were having such a great conversation uh, over here with Stu, um, we're going to dive into these stories next week, but I cannot let it slide by uh, that Earl Blumenauer, uh, our friend from Oregon, Democrat in the Senate, uh, excuse me, in the House, is um, pushing forth a bill that he thinks will allow uh, marijuana businesses to do business and not have to follow 280E. And if 280E can be repealed from the cannabis industry, what an amazing thing that would be. Uh, that That's a Rob Hunt discussion, um, and, and we'll dive into that with him. Um, bipartisan lawmakers have filed a congressional bill to legalize medical vet- marijuana for military veterans. Yes, our military veterans who get the, the benefit of federal government health care cannot use marijuana. Because if they do and they test for it, then they 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 don't get any of their stuff. Military doctors cannot recommend it. It's That's a, just wrong. It's a terrible thing. So Barbara Lee, a Democrat from California, and Brian Schatz, a Democrat from Hawaii, are co-sponsoring a bill along with twelve others. Uh, notably, it is a bipartisan-sponsored bill, and hopefully, this will bring relief to military veterans. And then, just in case any of us forgot that in the marijuana industry. We all look at the feds, but it's really the states that call the shots, right? They're the ones controlling everything. And New Jersey just flexed its muscle this week with Cureleaf. Cureleaf, which has become one of the largest MSOs in the country uh, and has licenses in New Jersey, uh, took their um, uh, their license for renewal before the New Jersey Cannabis Regulatory Commission and were denied. Now, you know, that's not denying some mom and pop. That's denying one of the biggest players in the country. Why did the CRC say they closed it? Because the uh, uh, Cureleaf had closed uh, one of its facilities in the state uh, and they were opposing unionization uh, by their workers. So what did New Jersey do? They said, not in our state. We're pulling your license. And lo and behold, uh, just today, boom, everything is hunky-dory. Um, uh, Cureleaf has promised to be respectful of the unions and, and you know, more in touch with their employees about things that they're going to do and all of their licenses got renewed. So, you know, good for, good for them. I'm glad it happened. Um, but it's nice to see, you know, you, you know, marijuana has made it big time when, you know, your state legislature is involved in it in the same way that they are with alcohol and gambling and everything else. Yeah. Now, if they could just figure out a way to apply that to the gun lobby, <sighs> you know, the problem is we don't have an hour to really take it apart. No, I think the way you and I would sure. take it apart. But yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, suffice it to I'm say, sure we're on the same page there. Yeah, it, it, it is a problem, and hopefully, um, the right people will pay attention to it. Stu, thank you so much for joining us today. This was really a lot of fun, as always. Uh, this was a great topic, one of my favorite dead tunes. Uh, glad mm-hmm. you picked it. 
Um, we're going to look for your book. And, and once it's down and out, we've all looked at it. We're going to have you come back and have you, you know, read your favorite chapter or something. Oh, that sounds great. Um, I appreciate an invitation from you guys anytime. I, this is, as I said earlier, this is my fourth time yep. and I'm looking forward to the fifth. Well, wonderful. And good luck with baseball. I know you're a big baseball player as well. Yeah. We didn't get to that today, but, uh, you know, That's all th- right. throughout Next all your time. various tournaments and everything, good luck with that. So thank you again. And on our way out the door here today, thank folks, you. for sure. We're going to go out with um, Not Fade Away. And Not Fade Away, as we were just talking about, is one of these tunes that's been a, a dead standard going all the way back to the 1960s. Uh, and, of course, they would play it with Going Down the Road Feeling Bad in the early 70s is a great one-two punch. And sometime in the early 80s, they kind of shifted it to an end of the second set so they could get the fans all clapping and clapping and clapping them back on for the encore and all of that stuff. Uh, it, it, you know, it's a Buddy Holly tune. Uh, it was released on October 27th, 1957. He recorded it in all places, Clovis, New Mexico, and it clocked in at a whopping 221. Uh, in this version that we're going to be sampling uh, from uh, this show, the version's over 12 minutes long. So, you know, the dead have done their thing with it. The other interesting thing I found out about uh, Not Fade Away is it was the B-side on a single when it was released. The A-side was the song Oh Boy, which was played by the Grateful Dead one time on April 6, 1971 at the Manhattan Center, directly into another song, I'm a Hog for You. Uh, it was a great Jerry Pigpen singing duet. They only played those tunes once, um, but there's the, the, the tie-in all the way back to Not Fade Away. Thanks to Stu. Thanks to Dan. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing you next week. Have a safe week and enjoy your cannabis responsibly. Thank you. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.